Blog Talk Radio. Shortly, got another fun show in store for everybody. All kind of stuff to talk about. Had breaking news that we kind of knew about right before the show, but still breaking news nonetheless. As far as the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team is concerned, we had to talk about that. Uh, as everybody knows, it was Derby this past Saturday, so you know we got to talk about that. As far as the NBA playoffs. A touch of MLB, hadn't talked about that a lot. We'll have to squeeze some of that in. A lot of former cats doing a lot of good things on the diamond last night at the major league level. Uh, tons to talk about. If you want to jump in, as always, 845-277-9373 at Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook, on Twitter, or you can tweet at Terry and myself personally. Terry TV Brown is in the house as we speak. How's everything post-Derby TV? I'm coming down off of that high. So <laughs> everything kind of goes back to normal. The uh, celebrities have left, and, and everything kind of returned to normal. Uh, but it was it was a great uh, event, as usual, uh, with a lot of rain. It was very, very strange. This this Derby week was a very strange one. I know we'll we'll get into some details about that, but the weather was just it was just it was just weird. Like what we've seen all this spring, just a weird kind of weekend for the Derby. But uh, but it was fun nonetheless. Rainiest Derby in history. We're definitely talking about that. Um, at six thirty, we actually have. Uh, someone who covers horse racing and writes about horse racing for various different uh, media outlets. Jen Morrison will be joining us at 6.30. She is from up in Toronto, writes for a lot of Canadian media outlets, uh, the Toronto Star, the Daily Racing Forum, uh, has a radio show up there, uh, has been to the Derby, so I definitely want to ask you and her about that since I'm the only loser of the trio who has not been to the Derby yet. So i got to let you all compare notes. Uh, as what it's like to spend a day at the Derby. Uh, but Jim's going to be on at 6.30. We'll talk a lot about uh, Derby and get a little sneak pre- preview, early look at Preakness, which is coming up in uh, a little bit less than two weeks from now uh, to see if Justify can keep it going. Now, last week, if y'all are listening, we did our crossover show. Of course, TV, we got we to get some big recruiting news in a minute because you know we're big recruiting guys. But we did our crossover show with the KY Sports guys, and, you know, I made a derby pick. You know, I put a lot of thought into it, been studying up on all the ponies for weeks, 
which means I Googled the field while we were on the air with them and picked my boy Jack. Who did you end up picking for the dirt? Uh, I tweeted out probably uh, right as uh, everyone was singing my old Kentucky home that I was going to go with my boy Jack as as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I was at a derby party, and it was one of those things I was just kind of going. And and then I promptly tweeted, this is why I'm poor and do not bet on the derby at all because it was was not – you, you, and that's and I think I warned against this, you know, last week was you'll you'll talk to, to, to Louisvillians who all of a sudden will become these uh these derby betting line experts and, and try to offer you advice. Don't take it. For the most part we're all just guessing. We're not uh we're not handicappers uh, at all. So the thing about my boy Jack for me I, you know, no expert, I'm no, you know, analyst. But as far as I think when we were on the show with the Chaos Sports guys, my boy Jack was like 20 to 1. When they first looked, he was 30 to 1. And then he kind of went just rocketing on up as a favorite. And so that, that made me feel good. I'm like, okay, so I picked this horse based on nothing. And now he's getting all this love as possibly a contender. So I felt good about that, and then the race started, and, you know, that was the end of that. But I, I felt good that he kind of, you know, made some noise <laughs> before it started, and then they opened the gates, and then he had a bad day. But it is what it is. Well, and I know we're going to talk about that in, in detail and kind of, you know, from my perspective, what the derby, the race itself has, has become. Uh, I've made note before that now that they're going with a full 20 horses per race, it's a different animal than it was just a few years ago when you're having, you know, 10, 11, 12, using that auxiliary gate really changes uh, things because, I mean, you've got all these other horses in the field. So we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but I know you want to get to the recruiting news <laughs> that the Big Blue Nation yeah. kind of had their fingers across, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, another five star, not a lot of suspense, but you know you still gotta make it official, if you will. You know, and even in previous shows when we had talked more recruiting than usual for us, you had mentioned Tyrese Maxey. You know, when it was looking like he was going to become a Wildcat, and so today, you know, he committed at five o'clock. Uh, 6'3", combo guard is kind of the word, from right there close to Dallas, South Garland High School in Dallas, Texas, commits to Kentucky today and looks to stay in the 2019 class. The only thing more popular than recruiting it lately had been, are you going to reclassify or not when you, you you keep hearing about Wiseman and Ashton Hagens and now the same thing with Maxie. And as of now, looks like, Maxie is going to stay in the 2019 class. Uh, Kentucky is loaded at guards going into this year already. He would have been another guard in the mix, but it looks like he's going to come in in 2019 instead of coming in this fall. Right. I think that bodes well uh, 
for next year's class. I saw a tweet. I don't know who it was. Uh, Jeff Borzello, maybe some other uh, the of the top 20 juniors, you know, for that next year class, three of them have committed, and those three commitments have been to the University of Kentucky. So, uh, talk of the demise of, of Cal and losing his rooting touch uh, have been greatly exaggerated. You know, he's, he's, he's back in. We're, we're, we're right there, neck and neck with Duke. I don't think we the step back that we kind of thought we were going to see, we, it hasn't come to fruition. And so he's lining up for some pretty major uh, classes uh, down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you'll be loaded this year and then you already have him in the fold for next year. And then, you know, we see just like, you know, this time next year, we'll look and see which of these freshmen will return. Who's going to leave? Who's going to go? Who's gonna, you know, surprise and play out their minds and be draftable and become a lottery pick that we may not have thought about? Uh, and then so, which this class is guard heavy, but you know some will go. Who will stay? And then you add Maxi into whatever those developments are a year from now. Yeah, and, and we're starting to see Cal kind of layer things up a, a little bit. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about who stays, who goes. With Quade coming back, Nick Richards coming back, uh, that's definitely a good sign. What I'm seeing and hearing, uh, Vando, they come back. You know, P.J. Washington, don't know how to read those tea leaves. But if that happens, that's mm-hmm. a pretty good haul. That's a, if we can get three of the, you know, the six freshmen, you know, to come back, that's pretty good for us. That, that, that really uh, helps solidify some of that roster continuity. So we don't have those slow starts that the the Big Blue Nation, for whatever reason, keeps getting surprised about. But you know, we kind of eliminate that if we have some of those guys, you know, that are that are going to linger from year to year. Especially glue guys like Quade and, and Nick Richards, like we've talked about before. If he can kind of make that average, just average freshman to sophomore leap, I think that changes things uh, uh, quite a bit as well. Yeah, a sophomore Richards, a freshman Montgomery, and then, like you say, who whoever of the PJ, Jared, Winion mix, you know, if you, if you get a couple of them back, then you, you're tons of guards, but then you are adequate uh, as far as the bigs are concerned to to have some depth and to have some combinations to work with and see who plays well together and all that. Absolutely, and you know, uh, but people know we're not big recruiting guys. But I, I like it that when everybody was saying that Cal was taking a step back, I, I think he's kind of flipped that around, and, and now we're taking things a, a step forward as, as far as recruiting. And, and for me, it's layering those classes. Uh, I'm not going to get into you know whether a guy's one and done or we need three or four year, guy, but we need to have some returning players from year to year. Like, we just can't start over from scratch. Uh, the best teams that we've had under Cal, and really, uh, I think that's not unusual for any basketball program at any point in time. You look at the returning players, even from the mid-'90s, you know, you go from the disappointment in 95 and the Elite Eight losing North Carolina, and I think that sets the table for 96. 96, that's mm-hmm. a great 
you know, sets the table for, for Ron Mercer to have a breakout year, Derek Anderson to have a, a stellar season before his injury, and you get back to the finals. And I think, you know, looking at uh, boss man Cameron Mills, uh, you know, his, his documentaries on 96-98 teams, you can see how, you know, one team kind of sets the table for the next. Uh, so that definitely like to see a little bit uh, more continuity like that. Absolutely. And we're not recruiting guys, so it's only natural that we follow up the recruiting news about Tyrese Maxey with more recruiting news. But it's noteworthy. <laughs> All of it is, but we just don't always discuss it. But on the football side of things, Kentucky got a commitment from an in-state player. Um, been some negative things that maybe other teams can use as far as Kentucky not having guys in this year's draft, even though you had a lot signed, you know, camp deals, and all the draftable guys decided to return. Uh, and now you also had the, you know, the monkey on the back of it's been two years since you had an in-state Kentucky kid commit to Coach Stoops in the football program, and now that's been put to rest with the addition of Eli Cox, an offensive lineman from West Jessamine, 6'4", 295, um, already training with Drake Jackson and some of the linemen already, and already, of course, trying to get more fellow Kentuckians to become Wildcats when they complete their high school football careers. For, for me, as far as football, you know, the football recruiting obviously is completely different from, from basketball. Uh, I just saw, saw this kind of period as just a weird glitch. And I say that because the state of Kentucky typically just doesn't create a lot of Division One talent. The high school, it just doesn't generate from year in, year out. Uh, it's not talent rich like Ohio, Florida, Georgia, even Mississippi or Louisiana. So that's why Stoops and whoever the head coach is has to be really, really creative and create those pipelines uh, with Ohio. So you have that kind of year in, year out uh, recruiting base. Now that being said, I, I definitely think that that Kentucky should be at least in the running for the better players uh, for in-state. I think that goes a long way. I think that with basketball, a lot of folks talk about wanting to have in-state guys. I don't think you can just put a guy on the basketball team because he's from Kentucky. Football, I think you have a little bit more leeway. You know, football, you go out, you get a guy that's maybe a two-star guy, you work with him, develop him, and let him have that junior junior or senior season. I think you can do that. So I wasn't really going to circle the wagons about the drought of of in-state talent because he has had home runs with Cash Daniels uh, and and other players uh, from in-state. Didn't always work out the way we thought, you know, Drew Barker and and, and some of those, uh, Matt Elam, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever you think of his college career, at the time beating out Alabama for a recruit was a big deal. So I, I just, I don't know if you can read too much into it. Uh, there is a lot being made of having no draftable players this year. Uh, the only SEC, yeah. the only SEC school that <laughs> that had that, you know, that kind of acknowledgement. But I think again, I think that's just a low point. Uh, I think that it stings when you hear that, 
But then you kind of say to yourself, I mean, they went to back-to-back bowl games, right? You know, right, yeah. this team, uh, all these teams that have the adrafable guys, uh, you know, what's what, four straight against South Carolina? It's three straight against Missouri. You know, we've won a couple in a row against Vanderbilt. So I think you have to take that little nugget of information with a grain of salt. It's not as if we went one in 10 in back-to-back season, you know, much to the consternation of Big Blue Nation. You can point to at least maybe three or four games the last couple of years that probably should have gone Kentucky's way. You know, the Florida game, yeah. just the old Miss game. There's little things like that. So uh, I know it's, it, you know, for rival fan bases, it's fun to point and, and snicker and, and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at it as a whole, you say, okay, it's not that bad. Plus, guys I think would have had their name called decided to come back. And I think that's going to be a huge step in the in the right direction as well. So uh, I, I'm not as, you know, it, it hurts to hear that, you know, all these players getting drafted and not one wildcat. But uh, when you look kind of at the bigger picture, which, you know, we don't really do a lot in sports, I think you can say, okay, I, I, I get it. It's it's a weird thing, but I, I just don't see that be being the status quo uh, going forward. Definitely, definitely. So uh, good to see both of them. Like you said, you know, the reactions will vary uh, one way or the other. But uh, it's good to see, and like, and you know, with the football. You know, a lot was made out of it, as opposing recruiters will do. Uh, even reports that Vince Merrill has now been put in charge of recruiting Kentucky in addition to what he does with Ohio. Uh, KSR and some other places have kind of said that that had been the case. So it's a priority, even though, like you say, the talent isn't to the level of other schools and other states in the SEC it's still important that Kentucky gets a good chunk of the talent that is coming up uh, in Louisville, Lexington, you know, in the mountains when you get a Cash Daniel. It's obvious that Coach Stoops and company want to get those guys and keep them uh, in the state when they do uh, develop and they're good enough to, to play at that level. Well, and, and, and that is the game plan that Nebraska used to be about. Back with uh, Coach Osborne, when Nebraska was Nebraska, when you and I were especially coming up, when those Tommy Frazier-led teams, you know, back-to-back champions, Nebraska is not a talent-rich football state all over the Midwest. They were getting the best of Iowa and Oklahoma and all that kind of stuff. What Nebraska did as well, they got, number one, they recruited to the option on offense, they recruited just outstanding defensive players. But what they would do is they had a preferred walk-on program, and they were bringing in kids that grew up wanting to play for Nebraska. You know, as you talk about going to the mountains, going to these cornfields of Nebraska, which from personal experience, there ain't a lot going on out there. But you put these guys on preferred walk-on. It's kind of like a Rudy story. You let these guys get on the scout team. You let them bust their butt, and that way, when their number gets called as a junior or senior, they are ready to go. And and I'd like to see Kentucky adopt that 
I, I know scholarship limits and all that kind of stuff, but I think it, it's good, number one, for in-state recruiting to say, look, we're going to get these guys that may be two stars or what have you. We're going to work with them and develop them. That way, when their number is called, boy, they'll be ready to come, you know, running on to Kroger Field, and they'll be ready to, to represent the Blue, Blue Nation. If I had any advice, that's kind of the game plan I would recommend. I'm no expert at this, but I think it would, it would you know, build uh, a good rapport with some of the high school coaches. If you say, look, I've, we've been taking care of these two-star guys, you know, we're bringing in guys from wherever, that way when star player X comes along, you've already kind of got that, that, you know, that comfort zone kind of thing. So that would be my two cents, but – Again, I'm no, I'm no expert at that. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's um, the recruiting scoop from Cash Talk Wednesday for the next what month, two months. All <laughs> caught up on, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, it's sometimes it's just so, so right there that even we have to talk about it and and, and kick the topics around a little bit. Uh, people getting kicked around because you know, we got uh, Jen coming in in a few minutes. I'll have to text you her number and if we can give her a call. But, uh, you know, everybody who listens to the show knows that for a while you were without a major league baseball team, uh, no fault of your own. Regrettably, the Montreal Expos decided not to remain in Montreal. Decided they uh, were going to just not be around for a while, and then resurface as the Washington Nationals. Still in the same division, but different city, different players, no more Philippe Lou, uh, none of that. So you were just kind of on an island, just drifting without an MLB team to call your own. After an extensive amount of research, polling, delving in and analyzing who you should select, and you know, the process of elimination, you know, for certain teams within our region as Kentuckians, you came to the conclusion that the Baltimore Orioles were the team for you. And it's been a so-so kind of ride. This year the ride has been nothing but bumpy. And last night, a good pitcher, no doubt, had the worst night maybe ever. Dylan Bundy of your Baltimore Orioles TV took the mound in the first inning against the Royals at Camden Yards in Baltimore and didn't get anybody out. It was nothing but walks and home runs. And in a matter of minutes, it was seven to nothing, Kansas City. And and Bundy had to give the ball to Showalter and the bullpen came in. By the time the inning was over, it was 10 nothing, Kansas City. And you see those little funny things. Opening day, the guy hit the home run. Everybody always, oh, he's on pace to hit 162 home runs. Uh, yeah, if he hits two home runs, oh, he's on pace at 324. Well, after the first inning last night, the Kansas City Royals were on pace to score 90 runs against the Baltimore Orioles. So, you know, that is the team you still root for. I know you kind of maybe – Becoming a quasi Cubs fan, I don't know, but the Orioles—that was a historic beatdown last night. They're eight to twenty-seven, so it's not going well. 
so I just had to bring that up. Yeah, uh, to address that, yeah, uh, I, I did choose Baltimore. I am going uh, going with the uh, Orioles, but uh, I guess I can announce, you know, I've been uh, dating someone that is a diehard Cubs fan, so I'm falling into that trap. <laughs> uh, kind of, uh, you know how it is. You know how it is. I gonna tell you fellas how how it goes sometimes. How it be uh, sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna get into that. <laughs> I don't know. No, I just, I, didn't, I, I just said quasi Cubs fan. I didn't say nothing about nothing. Yeah, I'm putting my own cell phone blast out there. But anyway, oh, okay. Uh, with, that being said, <laughs> with, with that being said, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard uh, to get for me to get back into baseball just because it, it, it sounds crazy. But, you know, everybody else with that 1994 strike, and again, I'm dating myself here, everybody else, you know, Everybody else's team recuperated, but for me, the Expos had a like they were the best team in the National League and probably in all of baseball. And that strike did so much just to ruin that season, but also just baseball in general in Montreal. So it's just, I mean, I watch games, I go to games, uh, you know, I, I watch the World Series, I watch the playoffs and the All Star Game, but I, my my baseball fire is just not what it used to be. You know, that was, uh, that's just one of the things that just eats at me, but, uh, I, I guess I'm still rolling with the Orioles, but I'm not diehard basketball still going on. So I'm not looking, <laughs> I'm not really watching the, the scores and, and, and basically until the all-star game is when I kind of flip that switch and start paying attention. Absolutely. Which is why we hadn't, talk much MLB at all. I said a little something about the Braves uh, who are pleasantly surprising me. Uh, they swept the Mets the other day and moved into first place and then promptly got swept by Matt Mace Giants. So I'm glad I don't know him as well as you do. I'm sure I would have heard from him and, and you know, been on the receiving, receiving end of that. Uh, but, you know, when it's been some lean years, you, it just it's easier to lose the connection to me with the baseball team because when they're out of it and there's still so much season left, you just you just kind of check out. Um, even, you know, if the Cowboys are bad, it's only 16 games of badness. Um, even when the Rockets struggle, you know, it's, it's the season still goes a little quicker than baseball. Uh, but I'm – Definitely, you know, pleasantly surprised by the Braves. You know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago I was so mad because they lost two games to the Reds, who had just fired the manager and were horrible. Uh, but all, all in all, the, the Braves are definitely kind of ahead of schedule. They got a bunch of young guys, and they're, they're doing good. So uh, I'm excited about it. But, yeah, you know, baseball is – it's fallen from the ranks from being even contending with football and basketball like it was when we were younger. And there's nothing really you can do about it. Absolutely. You know, baseball has tried all these twerks and, and tweaks and, and different things to try <laughs> to get new fans in, involved, pitch counts and, and all that kind of stuff. I just don't think that happens. I just, the way the world is right now, I just don't think 
that that baseball is going to be. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, baseball is still a thing. You, you their ratings are solid, and 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 teams are still you know they're making money. You look at players' contracts and the like, but it's just not to that forefront that it used to be. And you know, yeah. it, it could be that I'm you know I'm getting older, you're getting older. I'll turn on a game, and I'm like, I have no idea who these players are. All the players I could name drop have long since retired. So, I mean, you know, with with Ichi, with Ichiro stepping down, it's it, you know that's the probably the last connection to the '90s, you know, or you know early 2000s yeah. or whatnot when I was really kind of into it. So, uh, I, I think for me, part of it is, is being older um, and just not having a team. I, I really wish I could explain it more than that, but. Uh, when I decided to become an Expos fan, you know, I went all in, and uh, yeah. and then for them to to just go away, it it you know it stinks. It absolutely stinks. definitely, definitely. Well, we'll take it's a quick break. I just DM'd you Jim Morrison's number, so we can have her back on to talk some Derby, talk some Justify, her trip to Derby. You being a Louisville native, all of that sneak. A look at the Preakness and get her thoughts on that. Uh, take us a quick break now and hope to be back with Jim Morrison uh, to talk some derby and look back on what happened last weekend. This is Cash Talk Wednesday. Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Don't go nowhere because we ain't going nowhere. Kentucky Derby, our day, Kentucky's day, the whole world is descending upon Louisville, as Terry knows, Churchill Downs is the epicenter of all things horse racing, Uh, Kentucky put on a show, rain or shine, and it was definitely nothing but rain Wednesday, but the Derby (laughs) is still the Derby. Do we have our esteemed guest with us, Mr. TV? We do. We have from the I'm Daily here. Racing Forum, the Toronto Star, Canadian Thoroughbred, Ajax Downs, writes for all those outlets, does a show called Talking Horses, 
we're almost out of time just naming everything she does. We had Jim Morrison here to talk to horse racing. How are you, Jim? Hi, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we certainly appreciate you coming uh, on. Yes, ma'am. Appreciate you. Well, that's, uh, that's very, very kind of you to say all those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you know, I'm, you know, trying to find some different people who wrote about horse racing and just kind of perusing Twitter and and saw you, and I was like, wow, her, look at her bio. It just goes on and on and on. And you got the Canadian horse racing, and you provide perspective on that. You were going on radio show Saturday to pick a winner for the Derby. Who did you end up picking uh, for the 144th run of the Kentucky Derby? Well, on my uh, my blog, which is Jen's blog, it's actually called um, Thorough Blog, um, and I've been doing that for about, gosh, about 10 or 11 years now, I picked good magic over justify. So I was upside down Ooh. there, but you know, I am a big fan of good magic and I thought he would run the race of his life and he did. However, uh, <laughs> justify is the, you know, obviously the real deal. Absolutely. And we were talking a couple of days ago, uh, you said you had been to the Derby, uh, was that your first and only time in Kentucky? Had you been to Kentucky on other occasions? or? Oh, I've been to Kentucky uh, many times. Um, a lot of the times driving through on my way to Florida, if I spend the winter there sometimes, or I used to anyways. But, yeah, I've been to Kentucky. Uh, I've done the whole Kentucky Horse Park. And, but I, and I've been to Churchill Downs many times for Breeders' Cup. In fact, when I, I worked the uh, I worked for Kinghaven Farms and trainer Roger Atfield for many years when I was in university, and I accompanied a horse by the name of Play the King, who ran in the Breeders' Cup Sprint and was second to Gulch uh, at Churchill Downs in the mud. I think every time I go to Churchill Downs, it is raining because my only derby trip was to see Smarty Jones, and I, I got drenched, and I ended up standing on one of these metal chairs on the tarmac on my tippy toes, trying to see uh, who was coming down the stretch. <laughs> yeah, I think so, that was the last rating derby, if I remember correctly. We've had pretty good weather uh, since then, uh, until this year. I think that was the last kind of rainy, miserable, if, I'm, if I remember that correctly. Yeah, as well, you know, I was there, so uh, surprisingly <laughs> I wasn't there this year, but you know, it was on my bucket list. Uh, it's you know, I, I I think everybody should go to a derby and experience it. I did the Kentucky Oaks the day before. I had more than my fair share of mint juleps. What a nasty drink that is! But once you get a couple Indian, it's okay. <laughs> That's what they always say. The first one, the first one is not that great, but they get progressively better the more you drink. <laughs> That's right. It tasted like gasoline to me. I'm like, really? Yeah. Anyways, but yeah. But yes, I did the whole thing, but um, you know, I'm not going to be in a hurry to try it again. I mean, I yeah, look, it'd be great to go again, but if you you really want to see something, uh, it's better to watch on TV. <laughs> well, cool deal. Um, as as far as good magic, do you think they're gonna, you know, since he had that good run, you think they're gonna run him in the Preakness or just? you know, hold off and try 
to get justified in the Belmont? All those different strategies they did. Well, um, yeah, so the trainer of Good Magic, Chad Brown, um, you know, right after the Derby said, ah, I don't think we're going to go to the Preakness. And, you know, I think he was so thrilled by the way Good Magic ran. But now I'm reading today, um, you know, just the reports of it today that he's uh, having second thoughts. And remember, uh, trainer Chad Brown uh, won the Preakness last year with a horse by the name of Cloud Computing, who upset the Derby winner Always Dreaming last year. So I am thinking uh, it sounds like Good Magic is going to race. I mean, right now we're looking at a field of maybe, maybe seven or eight total in the Preakness, like nobody from the Derby other than Bravazo, uh, who was uh, sixth in the Derby, is planning on going to the Preakness. And you know what? I don't really blame them. You know, a lot of these horses, if they can't win the Derby and beat the horse that won the Derby so easily, like Justify, you know, what really is the point in going two weeks later at, uh, you know, a distance that's slightly shorter and, you know, we've seen time and again the really good horses, the great horses that win the Derby, they're almost impossible to beat in the Preakness Stakes. So a lot of people are going to take their horses and just regroup, wait for the Belmont Stakes, uh, which is a mile and a half. And I know Chad Brown is not racing good magic in the Belmont. He does not think the horse wants to go the Belmont distance at a mile and a half. So I think we'll see a good magic justify rematch in the Preakness, and uh, that would be pretty exciting. Did you think that the whole lightly raced horse thing as far as, you know, horses that didn't race as two-year-olds, Apollo's streak lasted for 136 years. Did you think Justify was the horse to do it, or were you surprised that that streak hadn't ended long before now? Um, yeah, that's a good question. You know, just as what we've seen over the last, say, 10, 15 years, horses that made their debut in, like, December, uh, like a Fusiachi Pegasus. So, you know, he almost broke the Apollo record. I, I figured it would be broken eventually because just the way horses are raced less nowadays, you know, they're, just, they're raced less, and everybody is racing less. So I knew it was going to be broken one day, you know, when the track came up deep slop and there's 20 horses and Justify had only beaten like four and five horse fields in California, I really thought he was a horse that I could bet against, especially getting nine, ten to one on good magic. I wasn't going to bet Justify at five to two. You know, he he took a hold of that slop and uh, he just he just loved it. Now, he to me, he looked like a really tired horse after the derby. He ran fast early. The late pace in the Derby was like I could have gone faster in the home stretch than these guys did, okay? I mean, they were just, you know, he was a tired horse. He's got a bit of a bruise on one of his hind feet, on his hind ankle. Um, he was expected to have his first training day uh, again tomorrow since the Derby, so we'll see how that goes. But, you know, um, always one for betting against the favorite, so... Uh, you know, hopefully Justify is 100%. He's going to have to hurry up and get, you know, right back into it because the Preakness comes fast. And, and that's uh, that's going to be interesting for him. He's the real deal. He probably only has to beat Good Magic in a couple of these long shots. But uh, I'll be betting against him. Why not? 
jump in there, right. TV, because I know. Did uh, you touched on just the the field size between the Derby and the Preakness? Now, am I just imagining things, or has the Derby with that auxiliary gate? I mean, it's nineteen, twenty horses every time out for the last few years. Do you think that changes how? Number one, people put their horse to the derby, or number two, it's got to change your game plan if you're the jockey and the trainer. Well, I mean, look at the derby is the most famous horse race, and you can say whatever you want about Breeders' Cup races in the fall, you know, the quote-unquote World Series of racing, but it's the race that everybody wants to win. So everybody is going into the derby. You know, there was horses in the derby that had no business, you know, a, a couple of them had no business being in the race. Um, but, uh, yeah, everybody's, everybody goes into the Derby and then as soon as all the dust settles or the mud or whatever, then everybody regroups and says, okay, well, that was fun. Let's, uh, let's get this horse back on racing on grass or let's get this horse racing back in shorter races. And, and right away you'll see like, you know, all these newcomers going to the Preakness. Talking with Jim Morrison, recapping the Derby, sneaking a peek at the Preakness with the rain and how how nonstop it was and how it, it brought back flashbacks every time you're at Churchill Downs. You hear the term, you know, you bet on a mutter or pick a mutter. Do does a horse just have to race a few races in it to become a mutter? Can you breed a horse to be better in the mud, or is it just the thing that they have to, they're either good at it once they experience it, or they're not? Well, I mean, there's something to be said for, um, horses do have mud breeding. I mean, there's stallions, and stallions out there that are very well known for having horses that run well in the mud, but, you know, I think, uh, especially in a big field like the Derby, I think that you know, a horse that has some early speed and is not getting all kinds of mud in their face um, has a much better chance than, you know, a horse a Horse may like the mud, but maybe he's coming from far out of it. You know, here's an example. Uh, the lovely horse, uh, Vino Rosso, um, who was one of Todd Pletcher's horses, he finished ninth in the Derby. He was coming off the Wood Memorial win, and he's a lovely horse, and you're going to hear a lot from this horse this year. But he had so much mud in his eyes and nose that it took them took them like to the next day just to st- still get it out of out of his eyes and nose. So, you know, you can breed a horse for mud. Yes, people don't. Um, but there are there is mud breeding out there. It's something that you'd have to go, you know, look deep into their pedigree. And um, you know, a horse like Justify, his mother's his dam's sire, Ghost Zapper. Uh, really like the off track when he raced for Frank Stronic. But again, I think a horse with speed is going to do better in the mud because they're out there and kicking it all back in the faces of everybody else. All right, that makes sense. Um, you let us, let us know that you were betting against Justify and will continue to do so. So I got a flashback now. <laughs> To American Pharaoh, were you betting against American Pharaoh as he was en route to a triple crown, or were you? Do you have a different perspective on that horse? 
I had a totally different perspective on American Pharaoh. American Pharaoh is a horse that um, I, I just don't see we're gonna, think we're going to see. Uh, you know, I I could never compare Justify to American Pharaoh. Um, I I don't think Justify will win the Triple Crown. If he wins the Preakness, I don't think he'll win the Belmont. American Pharaoh was um, a much stronger, big, giant, strong horse, and I watched him uh, a lot of the time before he ran the Derby and then his training during the week, and I was absolutely flabbergasted at what I was seeing. I mean, this horse was, you know, it just comes from watching so many horses race and train for 25, 30 years, and, you know, he was just amazing. I know I picked him in the Derby. I picked him in the Preakness. I mean, it was, I just, this horse was, you know, one of the greatest horses that we will see. There's no question about it. And uh, I, I don't think Justify is another American pharaoh. Wow. So, um, totally different level. Rarefied air is where pharaoh is at compared to Justify. Even though Justify is getting that type of hype, he's still not on that level, huh? Uh, yeah, like I mean, like I said, you know, Justify has got all the raw talent, and he's still a young horse, and Bob Baffert's still molding him. You know, he was all in in the Derby, and it, you know, it wasn't. It might have been a fast race early, but it wasn't a fast race at the end. And uh, you know, look at all the horses behind him that didn't really have a fair shot at him. I mean, you, you know, yeah, he beat him fair and square in the slot, but there was lots of horses in there that. Uh, we're jumping away from the mud and, and couldn't get a hold of it. So, you know, I'd like to see, uh, you know, I would have, I would have liked to have seen the Derby on a fast track. There have been a lot of horses uh, that have won the Derby and the Preakness only to really kind of be no shows in, uh, in the Belmont. So, you know, there's this talk every year, uh, you know, the Derby winner, you start talking about the Triple Crown, we start comparing it, you know, to, to other horses that have won the Triple Crown. But but I'm with you, Jen. You've, I've got to see a little bit more before I kind of get on that, 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 I don't know if you want to say bandwagon and say we've got another Triple Crown winner. There's a reason that they're rare. There's a reason <laughs> that we don't see a whole lot of horses uh, pull this off. That's right. And you know what? It's great for racing, though. You know, when someone asked me before the Derby, you know, who do you think will win? I, you know, I said Good Magic. I said Justify winning the Derby will be good for racing because, you know, here's an undefeated horse. He's got the flashy trainer and Bob Baffert, and he's a flashy-looking horse, beautiful horse. So that's good for racing. Now we can cheer him on, and if he goes on and wins the Preakness, then we're getting a lot of media. Uh, attention, which, you know, is very hard for horse racing to get, especially up here in Canada, for heaven's sakes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll get a lot of immediate attention, but the Belmont is a completely different animal altogether. The track is a mile and a half long. Most tracks are only a mile. The, the surface is much deeper. They call it Big Sandy. Um, it's, a, it's a killer of a race. It is a grueling race, and uh, you have to have all the tools. You have to have the, the foundation and the brave. Uh, you have to be brave and, and strong. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, I saw Smarty Jones. I thought Smarty Jones had a chance to win the Triple Crown, and he got beat right on the, right on the wire there. California Chrome mm-hmm. couldn't do it. Um, 
you know, yeah. so many horses couldn't do it. Yeah, Big Big Brown, who I was all all in, Vinny. Uh, you know, I had picked uh, <laughs> Big Brown to win, and and didn't didn't. It, it, it's just such a grueling race that you you remember a few years ago they talked about before American Pharaoh tweaking the Triple Crown, spreading the races out a little bit, messing with the with the uh, the length of the races, the distances. So, uh, but I'm with you. I like to see as much excitement in horse racing as, as I can get, you know, being right here in Louisville. Uh, I, I know it's not everywhere that gets into the horse racing like, uh, like we do here. Yeah, no, it's, um, oh, that's, I mean, that's the home of horse racing, right? I mean, I've all, I'm always amazed when I go through Lexington or Louisville and, you know, horse racing is in every convenience store. And, Absolutely. you know, up here in Canada, we get the Derby in the pages for a day or two before and after. And, and then our big race, the Queen's Plate. But after that, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to get horse racing in the papers. So this is, I mean, this is really good for racing. And I hope the horse goes on. I mean, it'd be great if he won the Triple Crown. But, you know, he's got work to do yet. Uh, that's my feeling. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sorry, I think I cut you off, Vinny. Oh, it's fine. Uh, Jennifer, you mentioned that you were up in Toronto and, you know, doesn't get a lot of exposure for horse racing. I'm sure everything is a, a second to hockey. But you mentioned the race there in Canada. Tell us again about the the most prestigious race there. Uh, you just mentioned it. Tell us about that and, and some of the, the tracks there in Canada that are maybe the more popular or, or prestigious up in uh, the Canadian racing sector of the world? Yeah, so, well, Woodbine Racetrack is the biggest track in Canada. There are, there are you know, there's a track in Alberta, uh, Century Downs, uh, that's going to open. There's a track in B.C., Hastings Park. But Woodbine Racetrack is, is the Canadian racetrack, and our you know, we have a few big races, but our our big race is for our Canadian bred three-year-olds at a mile and a quarter, the same as the Derby. It's the Queen's Plate. It is the oldest continuously run horse race in North America. It will be 159 years old, I think, this year. And um, wow. now we race, though, on an all-weather dirt track, which means it's a synthetic dirt. It's dirt covered in wax, so it's uh, we don't have dirt track up here anymore, but uh, Woodbine uh, excels in grass racing, and we have uh, a, a mile-and-a-half turf course around the outside of our of our main track, and we're putting in another turf course in the infield where Secretariat uh, ran his last race back in 1973. So we have, uh, you know, the Woodbine Mile, the Canadian International. So we have a lot of big turf races here, and that's... Uh, that's been our focus the last couple of seasons. That's interesting. As being casual, the casual force racing fans I am, who are some of the more notable Canadian jockeys and horses? Yeah, so, well, uh, one of our top riders, Luis Contreras, rode Bravazo in the Derby for Wayne Lucas, and I would assume would be riding him back in the Preakness. Um, we have Rafael Hernandez riding here permanently, permanently now, and he rode in the States for a while. We have a lot of jockeys that have come, you know, north to ride at Woodbine. We have 
Eurico uh, Rosa da Silva, who has been our leading rider for the last uh, few years, and he is fun to watch. And, of course, this is the home of Sandy Holly, who is still around and still doing speeches and talks. And But, uh, yeah, we have a we have a very good uh, rider's colony. Chantelle Sutherland is back riding here again. She's sort of been off and on in Canada for a few years. And we have Emma Jane Wilson, who is easily one of the best women riders uh, anywhere. She's injured right now and will be ba- back in a month. Um we have an exciting horse running right now. He's won nine stakes races in a row, eight last year, and he's won his season debut this year. His name is Pink Lloyd, um, kind of like Pink Floyd, but Pink Lloyd. And uh, he's a, a smashing sprinter, and uh, he has not left Canada yet to try American competition, but um, who knows? He might, but you got to watch out for Pink Lloyd and uh, – It'll be pretty pretty exciting to see him, but he'll be running again soon. And um, as far as uh, the Queen's Plate, we're going to have the horses from the o- Kentucky Oaks. Wonder Goddard, who was second, is going to be heavily favorites for our Woodbine Oaks, which is the same kind of deal. That's in uh, early June. And then Wonder Goddard uh, will go to the Queen's Plate against the boys. And Flame Away, who was in the Derby, is a Canadian bred, and he's on his way back here to Canada, and he will run in the Queen's Plate. Those are two Mark Cassies, and I think Mark Cassie has another two horses that are uh, Queen's Plate contenders. So it could be a Mark Cassie sweep in the Queen's Plate and maybe the Woodbine Oaks this year. So we have a lot of really exciting racing coming up. That is neat. That's very cool to hear. As far as uh, Toronto is concerned, you know, us being here in Kentucky, we kind of maybe keep our eye on Toronto more than you would think. Um, the Raptors basketball coach played basketball at Kentucky, Dwayne Casey. Uh, a football player, Boone Williams, just signed with the Argonauts in the CFL. When when you take a step away from horse racing or, or just go to do something else, as far as, like, keeping up with other sports, is is the second favorite sport for you, is it hockey, or do you check out the Raptors or the Argos, or do you not even fool with any of those other uh, well, things? Look, at, I, yeah, I was born, uh, I was born uh, in Canada. I mean, in Toronto, I'm, I'm all hockey all the time. Hockey was my first love. I played hockey. Um, I will be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan uh, till the end of time, which is not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> But you know what? We took care of Boston to Game Seven again this year. But and then you know, right now the Raptors can't talk about them right now. Everybody's a little bit. Uh, we're not too happy with our Raptors. I do follow them um, a little bit. Uh, I I do follow the Toronto Blue Jays a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, we have you know we have great sports here, and you know now I've even been starting to watch the Toronto FC, the the soccer team, and. Um, you know, there's just so much going on. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why it's hard to get horse racing in the papers is because we have so many good sporting events. I mean, there's just sporting events, sporting uh, teams are great. And, uh, yeah, so horse racing is number one, but hockey will always be right there. Okay. And uh, <laughs> just I'm, we ne- we've never been to Toronto, so i got to ask you if, you know, 
as soon as we landed at the airport and we're downtown, what's the first place we have to eat at in Toronto or what's the place that we have to go to before we leave town, in your opinion? Well, interestingly enough, when you land at the airport, um, the racetrack is, like, essentially right beside the airport. And downtown is, like, 25 minutes south. <laughs> so you're actually okay. at the racetrack. So I would say when you first land there, you've got to come right over to Woodbine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So after that, then, um, of course, you have to go right downtown to the CN Tower area, um, you know, right into the heart of, of the city and Front Street where we have all the, you know, we have great restaurants uh, right on the water there. Um, mm. There was many things to see. You know, we have their big aquarium, Ripley's. I mean, it's it's endless. I mean, we have we have every uh, every imaginable touristy thing you can do, but uh, there's certainly a lot to be said for our food and our nightlife here. There's no question. You have to come out. Cool, cool. Definitely gotta get up there uh, and see it sometime. My dad went a long time ago and and talked about how cool it was. So definitely gotta get up there and see it. And you mentioned the fact that you've been to Kentucky several times and and traveling down here in, in our neck of the woods. I remember as a kid, like, you know, going to Atlanta to visit relatives or going, you know, to Florida or, you know, in the Carolinas. More often than not, you always see some Ontario plates. So, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people from Toronto area traveling down here. I always remember seeing that as a kid. I'm like, wow, they're from Canada. They're down here. In Florida or Georgia. I mean, I remember being eight, nine years old, seeing those license plates as you ride along the interstate because, you know, as kids our age, we didn't have stuff to play with. You looked around at what you were driving by. I always remember seeing Ontario plates along the way. Well, I'll tell you why that is. is because we have a winter here that lasts like six months. <laughs> I mean, we had a very brutal winter this year, so, you know. We we had we think we had two or three days of spring, and then just in the last two days here, we've gone right into summer. So uh, we didn't really have a spring. Uh, it was up in the you know high seventies today, and it'll just keep getting hotter from here on in. But I tell you, by September it'll be cool again, and then we all want to get the heck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so does does Woodbine operate accordingly, or are the tracks up there? Do they just kind of when is the the peak season, and when do they kind of shut it down for the horse racing? Well, we race, uh, you know, we race from uh, mid-April to the second week of December. And, you know, we have an all-weather track, so we don't lose any racing for rain or snow or anything like that. Um, but, you know, the peak season is pretty much, you know, June and July, actually, right, June and July for the Triple Crown here. And then um, we have the fall racing season, September and October, which is all the big grass races. We have the win and you're in grass races for the two-year-olds. Um, so, yeah, I would say summer and then the early fall and then November and December is just like, you know, it's like aqueduct in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. Well, Jennifer, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of the evening to 
educate us and give us your thoughts on the Derby, Preakness, and the Belmont, and Justify, even a little touch of American Pharaoh. We have enjoyed it and appreciate you hopping on to talk with us. Well, I really enjoyed it, and I really appreciate you guys reaching out to me. And and uh, I guess that's one of the great things about social media is that you get to meet people and talk to people. And I know there's lots of bad things that go on about social media, but I, as, as someone who is uh, you know loves horse racing, it's it's great to meet new people and and talk about it. And especially with you guys in a different city where you know where horse racing is really respected. So. Thank you so much for having me on, and, uh, you know, anytime, uh, let me know if uh, we can chat again, and let me know if you guys are going to head up here. Oh, we certainly appreciate it. Yes, man, we'll definitely do that, Jen. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, well, you have a great night, and enjoy the Preakness, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, a week from Saturday. Yes, man. Absolutely. We'll be tuned in for sure. Thank you again. You're welcome. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. That was Jen Morrison TV up there in Toronto, daily racing form, Toronto star, Canadian thoroughbred, has a talk show, she does it all. When it comes to racing, she knows her stuff. Had a blast talking with her uh, about the Derby and looking ahead to the Preakness as well. We'll take us a quick break. This is Cat Talk Wednesday. Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Don't go nowhere because we'll be right back, y'all. Give 
giving us some props. So that was cool. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's see. Um, first of all, we still got tons to talk about, but, you know, the devastation of the Oreos, right? Talk about that. Um, and we still got to talk about James Paxton, but we need to talk about TV's basketball plan. Because every Tuesday, we know that's the lock. You have been doing a couple games a week, but, you know, you had a season to end. If I saw correctly, T. Brown underscore 80, you were tweeting about, is it was it time for the annual Pans versus Kids <laughs> basketball game? Was that was that what we talking about that happened <laughs> this past week? Or as of yet, was it yesterday? It happened, happened yesterday, yeah. To kick off for the uh, for the testing that they do, uh, you know, every school, even going back when we and I were in school, you know, you get your scantrons and uh, bubble in, all that kind of stuff. So to get ready for the, the K-Prep testing, a lot of the schools have different kickoffs and, and whatnot. And what they do at the girls' school, well, at my youngest school was most of the girls' school. Well, anyway, my youngest is in the, in the third grade. So this is my six, this is my sixth year doing it. Going back to when Big Miss was in kindergarten, so yeah, so this is my sixth year participating in the parents versus kids uh, basketball game, and what they do, they have a big pep rally, and the principal talks to them, and the teachers usually do some kind of event and and whatnot. But the highlight is the parents versus kids basketball game. That's that's the highlight. This year was a little bit different because this year the basketball team actually won their league championship. So uh, this team was pretty good by elementary standards. The crux of it is obviously we kind of let the kids win a little bit, but but uh, yesterday it was a little bit more real than we wanted to let on. We had a kid who really thought he was Steph Curry. He hit two or four from like, college NBA range. He just pulled up and hit a couple of them. You know, me and some of the other dads looked at ourselves like, okay, we got to be for real a little bit now. So uh, I think it was like 28-25 or something like that. But uh, it's always fun uh, to go out there and, and, uh, and, and have fun with those guys. Now, I did tell the principal, you know, uh, Big Miss has two – or Little Miss, excuse me, has two more years. Uh, once she's in the fifth grade, that's going to be like nine of these games, eight or nine of these games. <laughs> I'm going to win that one. Like that's the one I'm going to play for real. I'm going to lace them up. I'm going <laughs> to go all out. Uh, I got to win one of these, uh, but it's always a fun time. So you say let the kids win a little bit. The kids always win. Beat the parents every year. The kids always, yeah. The kids always win. The kids always win. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, the kids always. It's not a competitive game. Uh, I mean, okay. the past couple of years, we really had to work hard to get the kids to win, but not, but not this year. They had some, they had some pretty good kids on the team. <laughs> but it's always fun. Uh, the kids talking <laughs> trash. Uh, one little kid, it was in uh, little Mrs. class. I got, I got to hand it to him. He must have got into his Google machine because he started comparing me. <laughs> To all these players from the seventies and eighties, Mr. Brown, what? Uh, you think you 
You you think you're Elgin Baylor. You think you're George Gerson. Oh. I mean, he went deep. He went deep. And I had to I had to shake his hand. Uh, his dad played the game. He said, yeah, he said, he's been researching all this trash talking. So uh, I had to give it to him. He was he was pretty good. He was pretty good. So, uh, uh, but I always like to have fun. Uh, sometimes I use the game to send messages uh, to kids. There was a little boy a couple years ago that had his eye on Big Miss, and I had to, I had to lock him up a little bit, and they had to tell me, Mr. Brown, you're taking a little too serious. I said, leave me alone. Let me handle my business. But uh, for the most part, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a fun time. I, I, can't, I can't complain at all. Uh, the kids love it uh, and everything. So uh, I look forward to next year. Our, our motto is just no injuries. You know, just no yeah. – nobody tear anything, nobody hurt anything. That's right. Don't be – It'll be Norm Nixon at the old timers game back when we was kids, tearing that knee up. Yeah, stuff. yeah, you, you definitely don't want to do that. But it's all it's always fun, and you know I'm always kind of in the girls' school uh, anyway, so it, I, I I enjoy it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, UK baseball. Switch up to that real quick. Disappointing outcome down here in Knoxville against Tennessee, my neck of the woods. They finally win the second game of a series, but they lost the first and the third. They bookended it with with the loss um, lost Friday and Sunday, uh, but they did finally get the streak of losing on Saturday over with. They bounced back yesterday and beat Indiana seven to six up in Bloomington. Indiana was ranked, so once again, uh, another notch in the belt as far as strength of schedule and trying to host and all that in the postseason. Um, Indiana, once again, is kind of right there with Kentucky fighting for the same things. So to go up there and beat them uh, is definitely a help. Um, And now, believe it or not, it's the final series at the Cliff TV, 50 years it all comes down to this coming weekend, and you have Mississippi State coming into town who also has and still have coaches that coached at UK, coached in the Cliff. John Cohen coached Kentucky, uh, now is down there at Mississippi State as the AD. Gary Henderson just left and was replaced by Nick Mingione. Both of them coach Kentucky. Uh, Keith Madison and Coach Mingione, friends of the show, of course, will be there, as well as a lot of former players and all, as they say goodbye to the cliff. So it's kind of cool that Mississippi State is the last team to be there when you got so many of their guys with Lexington, UK, and the Cliffs connections. Yeah, it's it's nice to – that it's kind of circle of life kind of situation, if you will, that it all kind of worked out like that. Uh, but the cats have, have some work to do. As you pointed out, they, they haven't really, it's been that second game that has been the issue with a lot of series, even though that was the highlight of the Tennessee series Well, the Tennessee uh, game uh, or series, I should say highlighted was against the top part of the SEC. We got a winning record against the, the teams lower in the standings, we have a losing record. 
So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you fix the consistency of kind of we, – we know what Jelly can do and Justin Lewis, but once we go to the bullpen and that second starter, that's where the issues have popped up on teams. You know, if you follow along on social media or, or whatnot, and, you know, you look, you know, first couple innings, you know, we're up 2-1-3-1, and then next thing you know, you know, we're down 7-6, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of games yeah. uh, like that this year. Well, you know, with the format of regional and the super regionals where, you, you know, you're playing three days in a row, you've got to bring it. And, and that's got to be a concern with Coach Nick is, is how do we stop that? Once Jelly goes out and, and, and throws, you've got to have something to even get to lose. You, you've got to have something in there to do that. So that's got to be a concern. It's find a little bit of uh, consistency. But I think it speaks volumes that I've seen a lot of people on social media kind of just talking to people that are legitimately, uh, you know, they are concerned and, and have some gripes about UK baseball. That just goes to what mm-hmm. Coach Nick has done in, you know, not even two years. Uh you know, when we had uh, Coach Madison on talking about, you know, when he remembered not even having a full-time assistant, you know, way back when. Yeah. And, and, for ne- <laughs> and just what he had to do to, to really help put the, the baseball program uh, on the map. Uh, I think it's a great position to be in. I, I think if you talk to uh, all the coaches, uh, you know, this is going back to going to the Catsby's a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is what they want. This is what you want. Every player, every coach said, look, you come to Kentucky because you want to compete. You want to play with and compete against the best. And when it comes to the best, generally speaking, across the board, whatever your sport is, it's the SEC. And if you're going to be competitive in the SEC, you know that you can be competitive on a national level. And so uh, that's one thing that the coach Nick and uh, can tell his troops is, Hey, you know, our record may not be what we want it to be. And we've, you know, hit some stumbling blocks, but we've still been competitive in the SEC. You know, we have, you know, played teams that have won recent championships. We have competed with them. And so we can compete. Uh, even split, splitting the series against Louisville, I, I think was a good thing. Uh, that you can point to, hey, we are not far off at, uh, from where we want to be. We just have to keep working. So um, as they round up their season, that's definitely uh, a good thing for them to, to look forward to that postseason and maybe get a couple of more games at the cliff. Exactly. Um, right now they're 11-13 and 13 in the uh, SEC East, which is like you know, pretty much based on, like you said, puts them squarely in the middle of the pack. They're tied with Vanderbilt. Um, they're ahead of Tennessee and Missouri. Uh, they're behind Florida and Georgia. And once again, the consistency thing. They they're ahead of Tennessee and Missouri. They won the series against Missouri. Lost the series against Tennessee. They are. Two games behind South Carolina, whom they beat. Four games behind Georgia, whom they beat. 
and then they lost two out of three to Florida. So to your point about the winning record, they kind of play up to the competition uh, and then kind of get outplayed by the lower-level teams. But in this, like you said, they're they're 31 and 17, which is solid. You know, you're winning two out of three, you know, about a 660, 670 winning percentage, give or take, you know, depending on the day. And after last year, it does feel like a little bit of a step back. Last year was extremely euphoric and, you know, took everybody by surprise. And Coach Ben Jonas said himself, they just haven't quite clicked yet this year. We mentioned the, the issues with the second starts of series, and it was uh, Zach Thompson who had a good start this Saturday against Tennessee. And uh, actually got to sit and talk with his parents two years ago when Kentucky was down to play uh, in Knoxville. Uh, his family was there and got to talk with them. He actually pitched that night uh, against the balls. So it's good to see him maybe take some steps to shoring up that number two game of the series, and then that can kind of spark him to finish on a run. But 31-17 feels like a step back based on what they did last year because they did go on like a tear when they won, you know, 18 out of 20 or you know, 19 out of 22 or something like that. But those second games of series have prevented those big, long streaks. But still very solid and still got a, um, a series after Mississippi State, which uh, you can't overlook that. We can because we're just talking about it. But Mississippi State is 11-13 and 13 in the SEC, just like Kentucky, and they're next to last in the West. So you got a team coming in, same record as you, and then you finish up on the road against Vanderbilt, and we know the success they've had recently. They're 11-13 in the SEC East as well. It's the exact same record as Kentucky. So – Six big conference games left before uh, Hoover in the SEC tournament. So, like you said, they still have time to uh, to finish strong to kind of be a team that's getting hot going into the tournament. Yeah, it's like any other uh, sport. If you can get into the postseason, if you can get there, then you have the opportunity. So, uh, I think Coach Nick and his staff will have the have the team ready to go. Exactly, exactly. Um, the SEC softball tournament started today, and unfortunately uh, the softball cats were one and done there. They lost to Arkansas three to one. A lot of errors that they normally don't make uh, kind of did them in today. So now they will uh, sit back and await to see where they will go in the uh, SEC tournament. And I'm going to pull up right quick as we speak. Uh, they tweeted out when the selection show uh, is going to be. It will be Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be live on ESPN2. So uh hate to see the tournament ends you know, so quickly for the Cats, but uh, – now it's time to move on from the conference tournament and get ready for the big tournament. Yeah, and, and Coach Lawson, 
I mean, she talked about and has talked about, you know, the, the regionals. They can get to the regionals. She's confident in that. Uh, that's not a problem at all. But they, to get to those super regionals and or get to the super regionals, I say, they know they can do that. They've been to, I think, five uh, in her tenure. Uh, but their goal is still to make it to the Women's College World Series. So I know they had a setback today, but I still would not bet against them, kind of depending on their their draw. Yeah, and it's just, you know, you have days like that in softball, in baseball, that are just head-scratching, I mean, in all sports. But uh, for today, for example, talking about how uncharacteristic it was on the defensive side, Kentucky lost three to one. None of Arkansas's runs were earned. They got all their runs courtesy of Kentucky errors. So you can literally say (laughs) we gave them everything they got, and that's just the way it went today. So, um, you know, you've got to put it behind them now and get ready for uh, the selection show and see where they go and who they match up against going forward. Absolutely. And we will still still got to stay on that UK baseball note because last night Seattle Mariners pitcher, former Kentucky pitcher James Paxton, threw a no hitter. Uh, the Canadian theme continues because Paxton is from Canada, and he was in Canada playing the Blue Jays uh, and tossed a no hitter last night. So uh, you know Kentucky baseball still on the map. A lot of tweets and stuff on social media about Paxton. And, you know, left-handed pitcher, I even wrote a piece about him last year because he had some good starts for the Mariners on CameronMillsRadio.com. He had struck out 16 batters in his previous outing, follows that up with a no-hitter. You always have to have a play or two that happens along the way to keep it intact. There was a great play made by a third baseman, uh, uh, Great stab on a hot shot down the line. Third baseman was able to get a glove on it, corral it, and make the play to keep the no-no going. Um, so congratulations to, to James Paxton for that. Seattle's had a bit of a tough year. They've uh, had some games before where you know the bullpen let them down, or, or uh, you know just struggling. The whole eat your own. I'm going to retire. No, I'm not. You know it's just it's not been going good, but. Individually, James Paxton, Paxton has been doing well. Uh, his last two starts are exceptional. And he finished up still throwing in the high 90s. Uh, I think Buster Oney tweeted out earlier. So, it, you know, he is not your lefty that nibbles and just tries to spot, you know, and, you know locate, locate, locate. He can just rear back and throw gas. Uh, you know, he's who I would have wished Bobby Cox would have brought out to face Kirby Puckett back in 91. Not Charlie Liebrand coming in throwing 48 miles an hour, a lefty facing the right-handed power hitter. You know, James Paxton comes in throwing gas, you know, that Randy Johnson type stuff. But his last pitch in the ninth inning was still high 90s. I was trying to find the tweet. But, well done by him. It probably means a little bit more that he was in Toronto that he, that he did it, you know, the the team from, from his home country.
Can you hear me? Lost TV. Yeah, we got you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give a love to James Paxton. Yep. Well, yeah, and, and that is kind of what we say about you know Kentucky football is is maybe the team success hasn't been there over the years. UK baseball and UK football have produced really solid professionals at the major league level. You know, we've had Cy Young winners. Now we got a no hitter. I mean, so. Uh, I think it's just one of those things you can put your, your feather in your cap on, on that as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was trying to find the tweet. I don't know if it's Buster only, but he ended the game and he was still throwing gas. He was still mid to upper 90s in the ninth inning. I'll say his last pitch here it is Buster only. Um, First through the third inning, average velocity, 94.4 miles an hour. Fourth inning through the sixth inning, 95.1. Seventh through the ninth inning, 96.8 miles an hour. And that included uh, hitting the gun at 98, 199 in the final at-bat when he was facing Josh Donaldson to get the last out for that no-hitter. So he's He's not the lefty that has to kind of be pinpoint and crafty and wily to get you out. He can just rear back and just blow it by you and get you out. Uh, and I don't know if you had dropped or not, but he's, this is who I would have wanted. If if Bobby Cox was bringing out a lefty to face Curry Tuck in the 91 World Series, bring out a guy that can throw some gas. Not Charlie Lee Brett and throws 35 miles an hour and puts it on a tee for Kirby Puckett. I'm not still bitter about that, but um, – Congratulations to James Paxton. And to finish strong, you you hear that with running backs. He's in the fourth quarter. He runs harder in the fourth quarter than he does in the first quarter. And that's the exact same thing. You throw a 96.8, rounded up, you know, 97 in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings and go 98-199 to end the game. Hey, that's, (laughs) you know, good luck, Toronto. Yeah, there's not a whole lot you can do with that. Are the Raptors secretly happy to see the Blue Jays get no hit to maybe take some of the angst and anger off of them being swept? So (laughs) here's my thing. Uh, I I, I just – I haven't seen a team – like the Raptors get geared up and, and be seated because wasn't they the higher seed last year as well? I believe, but they've been you know top two or three seeds play Cleveland and yeah. just look bad. I mean, and I, I saw a tweet that pretty much summed up the way I feel about it is the Raptors and Coach Casey and you know they were all in on DeRozan, all in on Lowry. They got the right kind of pieces with the sole intent of competing with LeBron. I mean, that that was their thing. That's what they said last year. That has been their talk all year. And to get swept and have it really not be all that close, I mean, you you were – I don't know if you were on Twitter during, I think it was game three when LeBron hit the buzzer beater, but I think I saw about at least 20 or 30 people, you know, as soon as uh, Toronto tied it, most people were saying they're just setting up LeBron to, to hit a buzzer beater. 
and, and yay, it came to pass. I mean, and, <laughs> and it's crazy because LeBron James gave an interview, uh, you know, during the season. They talked about, you know, he was going to be a three seed or maybe a four seed. And he said, look, one seed, two seed, eight seed, it doesn't matter. And, and most of the time, it kind of does, you know, home court demand and all that, but it doesn't matter with Toronto. I don't know what it is that that they do. I've watched a lot of the games, but it, it's like they want no part of LeBron once he gets going. And uh, for the Raptors, I don't know what their next moves are going to be. Casey is probably gone because that's really the only move they can make. Are they going to move Larry? Are they going to move DeRozan, who – who who didn't play in a lot of the fourth quarter. I mean, how can you try to be a max guy when you're not even playing? You're not in the game, in the playoffs with the game on the line. Uh, there's just a lot to take away from that. Uh, like I said, the, uh, the Raptors kind of geared up just to beat LeBron. And, you know, LeBron is basically figuring out his, he's got all these teammates that have been on this team for about 25 games and he just swept them right out of the playoffs. Uh, but that being yeah. said, what Cleveland has has done is they've really they've given the minutes, and they're starting people that are comfortable with LeBron. That's George Hill, that's J.R. Smith, that's Kyle Korver, and uh, that's Kevin Love. And and those uh, other four people, they know exactly where they need to be on offense. For LeBron, so even when he doesn't have a great game, he, he's got he's got support he's got support folks. Uh, whether it's Corver getting to his corner spot, Kevin Love finally getting back in his groove, you know, becoming that 2010 guy that we have seen. Uh, that's the biggest difference. I think Kevin Love is healthy. When you you look at yeah. why Cleveland struggled during the regular season, I mean, uh, Kevin Love missed what seven weeks, eight weeks. Uh, with a broken hand. I think that is something. If you don't have your number two, but now that he's healthy and he's playing with confidence and we know how Kyle Korver can knock down uh, shots and George Hill is battle-tested and and J.R. Smith, I think Bill Simmons, the sports guy, kind of said, you know, you got to have one of those guys that gets irrationally crazy crazy eyes. And if J.R. sees sees, uh, a couple of shots go in, you know, he can – Get get hot in a hurry. Uh, so I, I just think that uh, when you look at all that, man, uh, Cleveland uh, uh, and Boston is going to be a great series. I know I'm jumping ahead, but I think Cleveland and Boston is going to be a, a great series. Yeah, we'll we'll see if Boston can complete the NBA's version of the Final Four uh, here over the next two or three hours or so going into the evening. I want to jump around just real quick, and then, of course, we'll come back to NBA playoffs because we love it and that's what we do. But you talked about Cleveland or anybody, any team, has to have somebody get irrationally hot. You know, LeBron has to get help from the supporting cast. J.R. Smith is the epitome of streaky. He's like (laughs) this generation's John Starks, so he can get irrationally hot. Sometimes you just got to be irrational, and sometimes that can be borderline crazy. 
Lance Stevenson has done that. But flipping it over to hockey, Brad Marchand, what is up with this dude licking people? And, you know, not once, not twice. You know, try to sound like the Heat. Not not once, not twice. It will happen again. Lance Stevenson gets on people's nerves. We saw how he, he does a better job of getting on LeBron's nerves than anybody. But this dude for the Bruins, licking dudes in the face whenever there's confrontations or guys trying to go toe-to-toe, never seen anything like it. And you know we get Craig Bates' thoughts next time we have him on the show, but I think Lance Stevenson even thinks that that's just going too far. Yeah, I've caught bits and pieces of that, and I just think it's gamesmanship to uh, uh, a, a next a level that I'm not too comfortable with licking. I mean, I just I wouldn't lick a loved one. I mean, that's that's what that you're licking someone that's been that's been playing a sport for an hour, so that doesn't seem like a a great idea. Uh, yeah, that was. I'm, I'm glad somebody stepped in and said, "Hey, you need to knock that off." Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, Rondo wiping his, you know, sweaty face on the ball, that was, you know, whoa, okay. But then for a guy to, to actually physically lick somebody, and he didn't really catch any blows. I mean, one guy that interviewed post games like, well, you know, I kind of lost my footing or else I'd have really done. In that situation, I say get your footing and go ahead and <coughs> let him know that you don't appreciate it, but you know, I don't yeah, know if you're going to do it again. Like it. <laughs> right. That's just, that's just, you know, so definitely had to talk about that as well. And also to, I'm jumping all over the place. James Paxton on Twitter at the Negro league baseball museum earlier in the year, where our good friend, Mr. Kendrick, that was cool as well. He, he tweeted that out after Paxton threw the no-hitter. Uh, and he said, you know, visit the Negro League Baseball Museum for a no-hitter. He said, I'm just saying. And then he went on to congratulate Paxton on his no-hitter. So that was cool to see uh, as well. Yeah, I definitely, that's on my list of, of things to uh, to do is to go out and, and, and see that museum. Give it a give it a, a go when I'm next time I'm out in in Kansas City. Yeah, definitely that and some Gates Barbecue and, and all the other cool stuff that's out there in KC. Um, we mentioned Boston trying to make it to the conference finals, be the fourth team to join Houston, Golden State, and Cleveland. Scary Terry versus Joel Embiid got a little chippy the last time they were out, and honestly. It's not the case, and you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, don't even matter. Philadelphia should really be up three to one in this series. They kind of gave two games to Boston by just melting down at the end. Uh, and you got to give Boston credit for the play call and the lob to Horford, who had you know Covington, the smaller guy, fronting him when Boston stole that first game in Philadelphia to go up three zero. It should be Philly up three one. It's Boston up three to one. Philadelphia's Saved their season the other day. Now they have to do the same thing in Boston. What do you think happens? You know, they they know they can win there. They know they should have already won in Boston. Are we going to see game six in Philadelphia? 
No, I, I think that uh, I think Boston takes care of business uh, today. Uh, I, I don't think it goes to a game six. The crazy thing to me is uh, when you look at the beads on that fine line. He, he's walking a fine line. It's cute when he, you know, he's on the court. He, he's going to have to start producing, I think, a little bit more on the court. Because uh, I just think his act is kind of wearing thin a little bit. Uh, but Terry Rozier, I mean, I, I don't. Everyone knows I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a UK guy. I'm definitely not a Boston guy. I'm ambivalent to the Jazz. But but how can you look at what Donovan Mitchell has done? How can you look at what Terry Rozier has done is doing as a Louisville fan and not say to yourself? How do we not do more than we did with these guys? I mean, that's, that's got to be one of those things where you're kind of scratching your head a little bit if you're if you're a Louisville fan, uh, which is weird because for a long time, uh, a lot of Louisville fans didn't care too much for the NBA. But but now, between Mitchell and Rozier, now we got now you know now we can pay attention to the NBA. Now it's, you know. Uh, so I think that's a little that's a little weird. Uh, <laughs> so they had they had Montrez, right? Right. Francisco right. Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when we were talking about you know, look at what Anthony Davis is doing and Towns and Cousins. Oh, you know, uh, NBA, blah 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 blah. Now you know, now they're paying attention, which is good. It's good because basketball continues. Uh, but honestly, both of those guys have been playing really, really well. Uh, I think that the NBA, if you were uh, Silverman and his staff, you've got to be pretty excited uh, for this Final Four. Uh, I think that uh, the Western Conference Finals, it may be like those old days. We're going to see games in the 120s. I I think that that is uh, definitely at play here. When you look at as far as points per 100 possessions, you know, the the, the the pace of play, that kind of thing. Uh, Golden State was one. Houston was two. And you're like, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of, you know, what does that mean? Well, in the history, this is going back to the late 70s where they started keeping track of that kind of metric. These teams rank seven and eight historically. So this is a matchup. We yeah. haven't seen two teams that play quite this fast. It's, you know, seven seconds or less. It's teams that can shoot the three, shoot a lot, and shoot at a good percentage. Uh, is, is going to be uh, how defensively how they can make the other team stars work hard. You know, can Golden State bother Harden and Paul enough? Can uh, Gear Rockets, can they really apply enough pressure to, to KD and you know, is Steph going to be, you know, back to fully 100%? And, and Lord knows, you know, they got Clay as well. So I think there's um, uh, there's, there's it, this is going six or seven, I think. Uh, I think this is going to be one of those series where we kind of uh, do we see, uh, obviously, does Golden State march on? Or does, do, do your Rockets kind of put an end? So that, you know, they start to shut that window a little bit on Golden State. Uh, on the other side, if it's Boston and LeBron, uh, you know, can LeBron be superhuman and get 
Cleveland to, you know, or can he get to his eighth straight finals, which is insane. I mean, insane, a decade of getting to the, I mean, that is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, you know, I'll be watching uh, all those uh, games. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin Love is, is starting to play better. Uh, you know, George Hill show flashes. You know what you get with J.R. Smith. But it has been basically, you know, LeBron dragging this team to the conference finals because they were fortunate to get by the Pacers. And now, you know, you got LeBron dragging his team. Brad Stevens has kind of drugged Boston all year long, and he's definitely been benefited by the development and the blossoming of Terry Rozier. Uh, Horford has even kind of stepped his game up, in my opinion, probably more now than even when he was with Atlanta. Uh, out of necessity, with you know, Hayward and Kyrie and Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown all – either having significant injuries or season-ending injuries. And, you know, will they have anything for LeBron? Can he scheme up something to <laughs> to kind of keep their season going, which is going longer than I thought it would when you look at all of their losses? So I don't think it'll be as, uh, even though in that, as, as compelling as, Houston and Golden State should be from a hype standpoint, but it's it still will probably definitely be a good series. Uh, Boston would at least yeah. make Cleveland work, unlike Toronto. I mean, Toronto didn't make Cleveland do anything. Cleveland, that's that's the easiest, most you know, foot, feet kicked up on the desk sweep you will ever have. <laughs> I mean, just went through them like a knife through butter. You know, LeBron sitting over there picking his nails you know, dancing in the fourth quarter. It was the easiest sweep that you will ever see. After that first game, when Toronto uh, jumped on Cleveland, Cleveland coming off of the game seven, having to travel to Toronto, after Cleveland pumped them right there, it was over. And then, you know, they just breezed through them the next three. Uh, You know, white flag, you knew it was going to be a sweep. So, Boston, if nothing else, would at least make Cleveland work for as long as the series lasts. Yeah, and, and I don't think anybody's ready yet just to, to crown uh, Cleveland. There's definitely going to be some, some work they have to do. But that being said, uh, you have to go with LeBron. I was worried that with that workload that he had uh, in the Pacers series, you're thinking, okay, he can't. You know, he's, LeBron's not going to be able to do this. Well, he was able to get his rest. Uh, he was able to get his rest during <laughs> the Raptors series. Pitiful. <laughs> Mercy. And, yeah, so I'm, he's I'm like be you. Ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like you as far as it's Houston late. Like I've been saying the whole time, they're in position to be – the biggest threat to go to state that, uh, you know, coming out of the West that they've seen in a while for sure. Um, you know, can they score with them? Can they get stops when they need to? Kevin Durant is, you know, he's coming. 
he had a down game against the Pelicans and, you know, the whole Draymond Green texting and need to be aggressive and, you know, she thought and bounced back with a 38-point game. Um, and, you know, Houston will throw Trevor Reza at him and Mba Mute and, and Harden and, uh, you know, everybody will still be undersized. You just got to do what you can with Kevin and, you know, they're going to spread you out and they're going to hit their shots. First two games in Houston, you, you just got to have that edge, you know. Uh, Houston still kind of has it, and they don't. Last Wednesday, I think I was talking about that, and then they came out and just got punched in the face against Utah. They bounced right back and went up there and won two games. You can't have it and not have it against Golden State because, it's you know, They've been there. They're the champs. They ought to have three rings if, you know, Draymond don't mess around and get suspended and, you know, maybe you know, Iguodala's back injury. You know, they probably ought to have another championship. Uh, LeBron did go superhuman and, and win that for Cleveland. But, you know, this is this is what Houston's been shooting for all year. And now go out there and, and see what happens. Go out there and, and shoot your shot. Guns blazing, and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, uh, and, and, and I'm glad you kind of brought that up. You know, potentially the Warriors could have won. With a, the, you know, how come no one really talks about? And I know it's LeBron, but the fact that he made it to the finals with Kyrie and Kevin Love being out in 2015. How come nobody? I mean, nobody brings that up that two All NBA players were hurt for the Cavs that year. You know, we know about you know different things that happened. You know, in sixteen and seventeen, but the, the Cavs could have won uh, in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen as well. So there's a lot of stuff out there, and, and if we end up with, uh, a, a, I don't even know what you call it, not a, a threequel or a threepeat or a trilogy. Uh, with your fourth go round uh, between these teams, uh, I don't know about that, but but what LeBron is doing is amazing. So you definitely have to you know to tip your hat uh, to to that. Yeah, all of this, you know, this Jordan Lebron has just gotten blown up. Every buzzer beater Lebron hits. You know, the comparisons to Jordan are there. Uh, the floater he hit to beat Toronto the other day was insane. Off of one foot, not <laughs> on the baseline, not at the elbow, but you still go glass at a ridiculous angle. I mean, did you see where they hit the backboard? <laughs> the angle? That shot, even... <laughs> that is what you do during a game of horse when you've got a two-letter lead. Like, if, if you've got an H, <laughs> if your opponent's got an H-O-R, maybe an S, that's the kind of shot he did, and that's what he used to win the playoffs. Look, we're never going to settle the Jordan-LeBron debate. I blame ESPN for really driving the embrace the debate culture that we have in sports, where – you can't just look at a guy going, you know, for 40 points. And the other, you, you, you've got to read into it. 
and you start hearing things about will to win and clutch and, you know, all these losses seem to have these moral implications and, and you know, what kind of person these guys are. I mean, there's just a lot to be read into it. I think with the making Michael Jordan a deity, which we have done culturally, uh, where if you say, hey, man, this guy is playing like Jordan, like, oh, no, 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 Jordan, Jordan, you know, the best ever. I, I get that. But what that has done, what the whole deification of Jordan has done, I think we've really appreciated a lot of the great players that come along after him. Truly. You know, we, we nitpick a lot with Kobe, nitpick, you know, maybe with Garnett, maybe with Paul Pierce and LeBron. Um, appreciate this. We have never seen someone in year 15. And I think I talked about this last week. Look at year 15 for Dwayne Wade. Look at year 15 for Carmelo. And you look at what LeBron has done. We just, we haven't seen this. And I understand who's the GOAT makes for great debate. But what LeBron has done, and you know I have made this analogy time and time again, you get your Hall of Famers and whatever your sport is, but then you have that VIP section of the Hall of Fame. Guys that were just no-brainers, the best of the best. And I think LeBron has made his case for for top five, if you want to rank them by position or whatever. It gets difficult to say this person is the best ever because eras are different and what they were asked to do. LeBron is asked to do, I think, a lot more than Jordan was asked to do as far as ball handling, initiating offense, and that kind of thing, rebounding. Uh, I, I just think he's asked, been asked to do more. So I, I think splitting hairs, I think it's splitting hairs when you're going LeBron, Jordan. I think Kareem needs to be in that discussion, whose resume is unmatched from high school college, NBA, Olympic. I mean, so (laughs) there's a lot to to be said for kind of where you were, uh, you know, kind of where you're coming from with your own personal biases. Uh, I'm just thankful I got to see Jordan be Jordan, Kobe be Kobe, and LeBron be LeBron. And, you know, see a little bit of magic, a little bit of – I'm just thankful that I've been able to see that. Yeah, that's – that's a good way to look at it, for sure. Um, so, like, you're right, it's never going to end, and it's, you know, legacies thrown around before careers are even over with, and, you know, nobody takes time to enjoy anything or just sit back and watch anything. Uh, Got to dissect it all immediately and, and make it this or make it that or make it this level or put it, a notch below or whatever. So, yeah, uh, it's never going to end, and that's going to be fatiguing. It already is. But uh, the elevation on that shot, like you said, and that angle, <laughs> and and just how how cool he did it was ridiculous. Just and, just flipped it on up there. <laughs> no and, sweat. And LeBron was taking and, shots, yeah. those fadeaway shots, just, I mean – 
that's just that that to me is just disrespectful. That's more disrespectful than uh Steph shooting the three uh and you know and turning and go you know, that's I mean LeBron's just shooting shots that you're just like it's like uh some fan whispered to him, you know, during the game as he's coming up, I bet you can't spin around off one off the wrong foot and put a a, a high arch on it. Like it's it's almost like he was just doing that. Yeah. Uh, Got to end it with your thoughts. Chuck and Shaq, hilarious as always, were back and forth on basically DeMar DeRozan being benched and kind of the friction between him and him and Dwayne Casey. Uh, Charles was on the you got to fix this relationship bandwagon, and Shaq, was on the you can't baby these guys, you know, side of things. And then it just kind of devolved into them two, you know, <laughs> yelling at each other uh, about Shaq saying you don't know about it and Chuck saying, you know, just because you're right, just because you say something a holler don't mean you're right. And, <laughs> and then it got to, you know, Chuck talking about D-Wade and Kobe carrying Shaq to those titles. And Shaq said, well, how am I three-time finals MVP? And it was just that little verbal sparring. Uh, Jamel Hill said, it was, I think she tweeted out, it was, this is ha- what happens when your two uncles argue over whose barbecue is the best. And it was just, you know, fussing at each other, trying to out-holler at each other at the family reunion. It's basically what happened. Well, that's what I, I think uh... – for me, Inside the NBA is the best studio show on TV, bar none, and that's the NFL show. Because for me, I think that they're actually being authentic. Like, I don't think Charles Barkley says things just to say them. I think Shaq really believes that the louder he gets, (laughs) the better his argument is. So... (laughs) And Ernie Johnson doesn't get enough credit for really kind of being the ringleader for that circuit. You know, a lot of times if you look at what Ernie's doing, he's just kind of – he lets them talk. He jumps in, gently redirects them to what they need to talk about, and then they move on. Um, Here's the thing about Shaq, and I think I really get this. The more I kind of hear him talk – especially that interview he had with Kobe, I think it really bugs Shaq, and I think if he was honest, he would come out and say it, that by not taking care of himself, not showing up to camp in shape, that he left some titles on on the table. I I think he honestly, I think he, he now realizes that. And I think for all of Shaq's physical dominance, and he was great, you know, these young kids talking about, you know, Shaq could just don't know. Shaq was a great ball player. But for him to only have one MVP and and not have more titles than that, I think it's got to eat at him a little bit. Whereas I think with Barkley, I think Barkley knows he did the best he could. Like he, there's, I don't think there's any way that Charles Barkley's career would have gone any differently. 
it just so happened that his his best season as a basketball player, his dream season, he, he went against Michael at the peak of his powers. And sometimes that just happens. Uh, but I think Shaq, for all his accolades, still, there's a lot of what ifs with Shaq. And I think he, you know, honestly, he would be the first one to tell you that. So I think that eats at him a little bit uh, when they start having these discussions because uh, he always goes back to rings and this kind of stuff and uh, whatnot. But Shaq, in, in between 99 and 2002, dude was a beast. I mean, just absolute beast. And uh, his finals numbers, you know, I think he yeah, averaged like 33 points and 17 rebounds. Good God almighty. I mean, come on. Nobody, I mean, you know, people talk about, you know, Shaq carrying Kobe, Kobe carried Shaq. Look, I'm a Lakers fan. Let me tell you, Shaq was getting 35, Kobe was getting 35, and the Lakers are finishing with like 80 points. I mean, <laughs> that's just the way those teams are. I mean, seriously, you look at some of the numbers, they would average 70, and then the Lakers, you know, would get, you know, maybe close to 90, you know, a little over 90 in some of those games, depending on how Rick Fox or Robert Ori were going. Uh, I, don't think the Lakers, I don't think the Lakers are as dominant if you take away one without the other. So, uh, but it's good-natured ribbing. And like Jamel hit, uh, yeah. Hill said, it, it's not like, they were coming from a, a dark place with it. Cause you can tell when some of those, when the light banter kind of goes to a dark place. Uh, but I don't mm-hmm. think that's what happened. And, and I love those guys oh, yeah. uh, a lot. Which years do you think Shaq should have gotten more titles than he did? I mean, being a Lakers fan, I know, you know, Kentucky fans do it. You know, should have won the year thirty-eight and one team. Everybody will always believe that team should have won a title, uh, or or the surprise team that loses to the inferior UConn team. Which of those Lakers seasons that didn't end in titles, where Shaq only won three with the Lakers, should he have maybe got another title? Uh, because he went up against Elijah one as a youngster. Uh, and, you know, maybe kind of like LeBron in his first time against the Spurs, wasn't ready yet. What other years do you think should have been title years for Shaq? Uh, I think now 03, Duncan was at a pretty high level, but I would say 03. But 04, definitely. Uh, and, and both of those oh, guys, right, Shaq right. and Kobe mm-hmm. talked about that. Uh, going against Detroit in in what Detroit did was, was pressure the ball and, and really uh, force the Lakers to uh, start their offense with, with, you know, with Shaq at the free throw line. You know, if you've got mm-hmm. Shaq at the free throw line, that's way better than having Shaq on the block. And yeah. when you force the triangle to shift up the court a little bit, I think that threw off the Lakers. Uh, but that was, that was a fluke season. Uh, uh, but but I think not only that, but uh, with 05, you know, with Dwayne Wade being hurt, I think if Shaq was in a little bit better shape, then perhaps, you know, he wins another title with the Heat. So I, I think he left a couple of uh, a couple of titles on the on the floor, uh, on the table, however you want to however you want to go uh, with that. But definitely 04 is the most. 
could have possibly gotten six. Definitely, based on what you say, no four should have had five, which would have tied yeah. him with Magic. Um, and I don't know, maybe uh, you know, put him one behind Jordan with Magic, and maybe elevates him a little bit more. He's already high up, but that would have maybe that would have definitely bumped him up. A little bit more. So, yeah, five would have been one behind Jordan and Kareem. So, yeah, and he could have tied him if he'd have got another one with Miami. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and the the reason, and, and that's the crazy thing, is for as dominant as he was, by not coming into camp healthy, kind of seeding, you know, the first couple of months of the season, uh, you know, playing himself into shape. You know, he should have been start to finish MVP three or four times at least, just by his skill set and everything. But that's just not yeah. what he. Uh, that's not what he wanted uh, to do. That's not what he was about. Which is fine, yeah. I guess. But you know, if you kind of leave your resume as is when you when you do that, though. And if you try to do everything with no regrets, then you wouldn't be sitting here now with regrets. Like you kind of say he might be having, even though he's got. And you know, yeah. And I'm not trying to read into the tea leaves or anything like that. I'm just, I mean, he's got to understand, you know, when that door closes and it closed and you have to say, did I do everything that I could have done, you know, while I was playing? You know, because some people, you know, ask me, you know, when it comes to Jerry Rice, like, did it, did it bother me or was I bothered, you know, when he went to Seattle and, you know, when he went to, to, uh, you know, Denver's training camp? No, because he had always said that he's going to go as long as he could. And when he realized Mm -hmm. that he couldn't make it, that was it. It, And I'm okay with that. Whenever the athlete, you know, does goes that route, and gives everything they have, that's really all you, you want. But I think Shaq, if he was being honest, if he'd taken his craft a little bit more seriously, uh, could have had some different – even though it's crazy talk about, because he did have a stellar career, he was a, a dominant force. Um, but still, there's still some what-ifs when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, final couple things. NBA on TNT just tweeted out, of course they're going to – lead in with the way it ended last night. Ernie was off last night, but Ernie is there. They just tweeted out quotes from Chuck and Shaq. I'm assuming this is a quote from Shaq. I got it muted, but it says, he says what he says, I say what I say, and then we go back. Well, this could be either one. (laughs) And then we go back in the back and eat Krispy Kreme. So who knows? That could be a Shaq quote. That could be a Chuck quote. But, you know, they all laughing and joking about the big blow-up last night. So, uh, and like you said, it wasn't dark. That's just how it is. And that's why that's the best show, like you said, pound for pound to watch. Uh, maybe that was Chuck because he is all about that Krispy Kreme, and he will, he'll eat one blindfolded in a minute. Don't be bringing him shady donuts because he'll sniff them out. Uh, so, Cool to see that. And one last thing, UK Athletics tweeted out earlier, grades are in and the Cats pass with flying colors once again. 
Twelfth semester in a row, UK Athletics has a cumulative GPA better than 3.0, uh, 3.181. As you always say, Terry Brown, more than basketball uh, from a sports standpoint, and everybody uh, in UK Athletics is getting it done in the classroom as well, including those one and doneers that Bobby Knight said don't go to class. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, they're getting it done. Uh, you, you can't be uh, you can't be disappointed with uh, what Barnhart has done with the athletic department. Absolutely not. We have come to the end of another show. It's been a blast. I'm excitedly waiting for Monday night's game one of the Western Conference Finals: Rockets Warriors. Going to check out Philly and Boston tonight. Thanks so much, Jen Morrison, coming on. Recapping the Derby, talking horse racing north of the border, and also looking ahead to the Preakness. Appreciate all your perspectives from Louisville. And an outside steamboat won the race, right? It wasn't even a, a third boat came in and just ripped it from both of the incumbent boats, right? Oh, yeah. I, it's a, a, the uh, <laughs> queen or something. I, I can't keep I can't, keep, I can't keep up with all that. They threw y'all a curveball this year. There's three boats in there. And this rookie boat, this rookie boat comes in and just snatches the title away. That's what happens with these one and done oh. boats. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Appreciate you and everything. It was fun. Rainiest derby ever. It was still fun to watch. I definitely got to get to one, but we'll be here again next Wednesday uh, talking conference finals and who knows what all else. It's been a blast. Have a good rest of the evening, good rest of the week, man. You do the same. Thanks, Jen, for stopping by talking about horse racing. It was a good time. That's right. Appreciate everybody listening. Former man Terry T.B. Brown. This is Vinny Hardy. Brown and Hardy Radio Network. Cats Talk Wednesday. We'll see y'all next week. We'll do it all again.